And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender. With me as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. When Gotham is ashes, you have my permission to die. <laughs> that movie sucks so bad. I can't believe you're going to defend it. I hate that movie. I watched it like six months ago. David was telling me how boring it is. I'm like, I don't remember hating it that much. And then I'm watching it, and like 40 fuck minutes go by before Batman even shows up. I'm like, I hate this movie. It's called The Dark Knight's Late. That's what it's called. Yeah. Rise I love that movie. Bed late. What no, I like I, I like it a lot. I think it's I think it's uh, it got a lot of bad. I mean, it's following up, you know, one of the greatest films in history, The Dark Knight. And I think it got a lot of uh, flack. Uh, it's not it's not perfect by any stretch. And it's definitely not the best out of out of the trilogy. But I really enjoyed it. Um, and I think I just needed some time to kind of rewatch it. You know, it follows the the uh, tale of two cities there, you know, so. It was it's, the uh, best of times. It was the worst, <laughs> it was the worst of, times. of times. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and I mean, I even even Commissioner Gordon reads reads what um Sydney uh oh, Carlton. No, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no, not Sydney Poitier. Sydney Carlton. Green. I, it, it's been a long time since I read a, a Tale of Two Cities. But anyways, Sydney, the lawyer who who uh, essentially sacrifices himself at the end. Sydney Spoiler Prescott. <laughs> Sid, yes, <laughs> all bets are off. Sid, uh, who sacrifices himself at the end of Tale of Two Cities. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Um, he reads, you know, it's a far, far better life that I've lived than I've ever deserved or whatever or lived before. But uh, that essentially, I mean, there's so many uh, elements of a Tale of Two Cities in this. So, and and that's what I, I think I, I like about Nolan a lot is he uses a lot of literary works in his in his films and such and. He's just a, a savant. So anyways, otherwise, I really liked it. But you're you're just a hater. Yeah. Yeah. I believe <laughs> me. I tried really hard to like that movie. And movies that I don't like, I will watch over and over and over again until I do like them. And, it, and yeah. it's a pr- painful process. You're just a like Jimmy Interstellar. The, Jimmy the King p- boob. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Interstellar. Fucking Prometheus. I just keep watching these two movies because and and Dark Knight Rises. I keep watching the three of those actually, and and I'm hoping that in some way, in some weird world, I'm gonna just find joy. And I don't. They are terrible. Fire Devin. Like- He's terrible. <laughs> it sounds like you hate uh, Christopher Nolan. Jeez, this just in: breaking news. <laughs> are those? No, he, he didn't did. do Prometheus. <laughs> well, he did. He did Interstellar, and he did The Dark Knight Rises. That's true. So that's two of the three. That's, I like the that's other 66%. ones. I like. I, I like um, the insomnia there. I like the the John G. Memento. I like that one. I like Batman Begins quite a bit. I I, I would uh, the Batman movies. I would rank two, one, three is how I would do it. But oh, yeah, sure. I really, really, really enjoy Batman Begins. I thought that movie was the T I T Z's. Yeah, it's a good one. You know. 
Swear to me. Okay. <laughs> it's too, it's too, like, Mama said, can't swear, but. Because yeah. <laughs> you told me to, Drill Sergeant. Yeah, I would totally Wear your drugs. <laughs> I got these sweet teddy bears. They're, they're, they're as good as drugs, sir. <laughs> Anyhow, but I like that movie. But yeah, I love Nolan. Nolan fan through and through. Sounds like it. Did you see Tenet? Uh, so that one I have been uh, trying to watch. My buddy Brendan says he owns it, so he's just going to lend it to me um, because otherwise I was looking for a way to buy it on like cheap. Yeah, it's, <laughs> because it's expensive. I'd rather it's wait. like 15 bucks. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather wait until it's it's on sale or it comes to like HBO Max or something. But I do want to see it in 4K. Other than that, though, man, uh, do you want to hear what I watched this week? Sure. Or this last week. Uh, so <laughs> like I said, I watched The Dark Knight Rises. Um, criminally underrated. I watched a really good movie called The Sound of Metal, or it's just called Sound of Metal. It stars uh, Riz Ahmed and um, Olivia Cook. It is about a um, a heavy metal drummer who finds out that he is deaf, or he goes deaf very quickly, and he has to learn how to deal with that. Um, and he he's also a drug addict, or a recovering drug addict, it's a very, very heartfelt, very beautiful, uh, heavy, heavy film, but it's on Amazon Prime and I implore everyone to watch it. You know, the vicissitude of his of, of his character is just crazy. Like, you know, going from this point of I have a plan to your whole world is upended. Pretty crazy. So watch that one. Watch another really powerful movie called Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. It is about a 17 year old girl in Pennsylvania who is pregnant and wants to get an abortion. Uh, she has to travel to New York because the uh, age of consent or I guess uh, if you're a minor, you have to have consent to have an abortion in Pennsylvania. But in New York, you don't. So she travels there and it's her and her cousin just kind of experiencing the realism that's involved with the uncomfortable nature of of uh, our, 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 our systems for abortion and that really touchy subject. Very interesting to see from a male perspective. Um, it's, it's fantastic. I I thought it was very, very good. And then I watched, uh, on a different spectrum, Kong Skull Island. Uh, That's the first time I'd ever seen it. I don't know why I waited so long, but I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was a romp, pretty cheesy at times, but, uh, I mean, that's what I like. I like, I like Wisconsin cheddar. So, uh, then I watched Parasite again because Parasite's amazing. Um, I've, I watched WandaVision, the first two episodes of that. It's Okay. It's I'm not as pumped about it as I should be. Um, I don't know. It's kind of like I get what they're trying to do, maybe. But it's good that you get it because I don't. I'm like, all right, whatever. I, well, I don't understand. I mean, I get that it's yeah. like in her head and it's like a sitcom kind of thing and it's evolving, mm-hmm. but I'm not enjoying it. So the first episode was 30 minutes. The second episode was 37 minutes, but each has six and a half minutes of closing credits. So do the math. <laughs> I know. But I was not enjoying myself at all. I was watching it. Yeah. And while they're having their fun, comical 50s sitcom laughs, I didn't laugh once. And I just sat there like an idiot. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I think, God, I hate to say this because I'm a huge superhero fan, but I'm just getting superheroed out. And this is this is not doing it for me. And I mean, I love Elizabeth Olsen. I think she's incredible. But I they need to redeem themselves for the next few episodes just because it's not as great as I thought it would be. It's kind of 
all over the place. And I mean, I kind of get what they're going with, but I had to watch some YouTube videos to really maybe grasp it. Sure. And, and only that really made me like it. Um, so it's probably going to be a slow burn and it'll all makes yeah. sense when it's over. But you're asking a lot of me to dedicate <laughs> a lot of my time, which is valuable <laughs> to a show that doesn't make a whole lot of sense right now on the surface. Yeah. I'm just like, fuck, man, let's just go. Yeah. And it's, and it's not only, going. It's only nine episodes, I think, for this season. So That's plenty. Yeah, so we're 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 two down. We got another one coming out in a few days. Um, I mean, that's a that's a third of the season. So I, I mean, there better be a lot of revelations happening. I mean, but I better see some Wolverine involved in this, <laughs> yeah. some Cyclops. Let's get all the X Men involved. Yeah, so awesome. far we got a beekeeper and a magic yeah. show, <laughs> and a red helicopter. <laughs> I was yeah. like, okay then, and some gum, some big red gum. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I mean, I applaud that Disney Plus is finally worth its weight in gold in the sense of like, you know, I paid eight dollars a month for the past year. Exactly. For the past year for what? The Mandalorian. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty much it in Hamilton. But whatever. Um, yeah, I loved Hamilton. I don't so, do that. I know you don't. But um, and then I've also so uh, have, you, have you heard about this? Have you, have you seen this? Uh, I've discovered Skyrim. It's a brand new game that um, came out yeah, this year. Ten years ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I know that you are a big fan of that game and sure. uh, a bunch of a bunch of other friends of mine are big fans. So I started playing it. Um, I really enjoy it. It's fun. It's just a fun RPG that you think you're going to do one main mission. And then all of a sudden they're like 20 different things are asked of you. And you're like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. I have to go run on foot at a slow pace over to this dungeon to go scour it for an amulet. And they're just like, oh, what do I do this to myself? <laughs> and there's like five voice actors in the whole game. And it's I like, know. <laughs> like the same voices over and over and over again. Didn't I just hear you in Whiterun? <laughs> what, what the hell are you doing here? Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, it, it's been fun kind of messing around with the different styles. Like before, I was just a brute where I would use, you, you know, like the two-handed weapons. But now I'm using more magic, and that's been pretty fun to switch in between stuff in between battles, just kind of getting used to it. Um, and then I added the mods that you talked about, like the finishers. It's pretty cool. So I'm enjoying it and and like I'm a completionist. So for me, this is going to be this game is going to take a while for me already now. But yeah, I'm enjoying it other than it crashing randomly. Like today when I was trying to run across to go reforge the amulet of Galdelir or whatever. And uh, the game kept crashing three straight times. I was pretty pissed. Yep. I I turned it off and I was like, I'm done for the day. (laughs) (laughs) I've never had a crash ever on me. Yeah. It's so weird. It just had this high pitch like and then it restarted back to the Xbox home screen. Oh my gosh. I know. (laughs) I was like, fucking game. (laughs) (laughs) The worst. I want my money back game pass. (laughs) (laughs) My dollar a month right now. (laughs) Anyways, but sorry. So that was uh, that's all I did. I've been a busy bee. But uh, what about like you? It. What have you been doing? Uh, nothing really, man. Just playing a lot of Dark Souls. I've been beating it over and over and over again. Dark Souls 3, you've beaten three times now. Oh, and Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm fucking... I'm, a, I'm having a blast, too, because first playthrough was like 45 hours. Second playthrough was 19 hours. And then the third Holy playthrough shit. was only 13. But I got stuck on the last boss for like 90 goddamn minutes. So it could have been like <laughs> under 12. But I just... I, I wasn't... It's so weird because the first two times I beat the game, I smoked this fool so fast. And then 
I just hit a wall and it was just messing up my program. <laughs> and uh, like, enough. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And like I, I was just giving myself too much distance. So he was doing all these super moves and it was driving me insane. But I had to change my playstyle because I was playing a different kind of character. And then so finally I was like, fine, you want to fuck around, fool? So I got up all in his business. And I didn't give him an inch. There was no quarter between the two of us. And I just just literally did bad things to his face and it was awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what you get. So he ruined my whole run. And so what could have been under 12 hours turned into like 13 and change, but rah, rah, I was mad. So Fuck other than find out. <laughs> yeah. So other than that, uh, you know, I watched football today last football weekend. Today. <laughs> and then I watched stand by me yesterday. Hadn't seen that in a while. Oh, I love that movie so much. That's yeah, not bad. The, pi- the pie eating contest. It's disgusting. Oh, yeah, it's gross. So gross. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting too because it's an 80s movie that takes place in the 50s. So, yeah. It's always kind of weird when you watch some sort of time warpy movie where you get to see what life is like in that time period for teens because a lot hasn't changed <laughs> as far as, you know, the camaraderie between friends, the bullies, you know, the parents not listening. Uh, you know, small town vibes. You know, I was picking up on all that stuff. So it was fun to, to rewatch as uh, I haven't seen it in a long time. I probably haven't watched Stand By Me in at least 20 years. So it was fun to revisit it. Are you ready to talk about this week's movie? Hell yeah. Are you ready to talk about Iron Man 2 and Whiplash <laughs> and how amazing he is? I want my bird. Where is my bird? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. So Whiplash uh, from 2014, written and directed by Damien Chazelle, who you might know from La La Land and Ooh La La and First Man. <laughs> he didn't direct Ooh La La. <laughs> no, he, he uh, did he write it? You know, uh, Ooh La La. You say he didn't. Oh, oh, Ooh La La. Yeah, yeah. La La Land is the most. Yeah, it's the follow up. Ooh, Ooh La La is not a real movie. <laughs> yeah, it's the sequel. There you go. You don't even know. Uh, First Man, you actually enjoyed that movie. I remember you saw it and liked it. Or tell me about it at Carly's, but I was half listening. So it's thanks. You always have to listen to me. Um, so it's uh, you know it's definitely not his best out of those three, uh, but I do really enjoy how uh, visceral it was because you're placed. So I saw it in IMAX, which is kind of a waste because the only part of that that was filmed in IMAX, I guess, is when they actually land on the moon. Spoiler alert: you know Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, but uh, the final like ten minutes of the film. But I mean, when they're in like the fuselage of uh, of this of the ship, we'll just call it. Uh, it's it's pretty intense with the how how the shaking's happening and everything's rattling and you're just kind of like like holy shit holy shit so um, I, I think that's really cool but uh, otherwise it's it's kind of a boring film and I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to you because I know you'd get bored so <laughs> yeah. yeah there's no sound in space so there's not a whole lot of talking <laughs> well they, they and they do a really good job about uh, of showing that is you know they're they're not like you know people flying by and Marvin the Martian going, hey there, and stuff. So they do a good job of, of maintaining a realism to it, but it's just a long film. I think it's like two and a half, almost three hours. So Sure. I mean, I think it's funny that we all know Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, but who was the third guy? <laughs> Neil Gorsuch. I don't know. <laughs> the guy that didn't get to land on the moon. Sucks to be him. Yeah, I don't actually don't know. So they, I forgot it, but they... 
they're all actors that you've seen before. Um, and so that's kind of the recognition helps, but I, I don't remember. I'm a bad, I'm a bad American apparently. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. yeah. Uh, it is also worth noting that Mr. Damien Chazelle also wrote 10 Cloverfield Lane, which we have done uh, an episode on and we both really enjoy the motion picture show. Oh yeah. That's a great movie. Yeah. Oh, how about that? So there you have it. Uh, the cast includes Miles Teller, J.K. Simmons, Melissa Benoist, and Paul Reiser. Dr. Burke, for all you Aliens fans out there. <laughs> He's a piece of shit, that he is. <laughs> <laughs> <Bring me> man. <laughs> Doing all the way. He still alien shit. He's mad about you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, there was a fun little um, reveal that he actually is subletting his apartment to Kramer. So that Mad About You and Seinfeld are in the same universe. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's uh, that's neat. So the they both know. take place in Seattle? <laughs> uh, no, it's like his bachelor pad kind of thing. Oh, Isn't okay. is Mad About You take place in Seattle? No. Frasier um, does. Frasier does. So I, I thought Mad About You was in New York. So did I. I don't know. I never watched Seattle. it. Okay. I know <laughs> it was always on after the Simpsons and I always changed it because it was on Fox and I just I, I didn't want to watch no Helen Hunt. But. <laughs> <laughs> That's no good. She saves tornadoes. And things. <laughs> You've never seen it. Skip this house and that house and then come to yours. <laughs> yeah. That is sucks. there is there an F5? <laughs> Fuji something scale. What is the scale? I don't know. Fujikawa? The F. <laughs> the F in Fuji scale. F Ford 150 <laughs> scale? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, it's in the extended edition. It's in the same cut that has the tire crashing into the windshield that was cut from the trailer. Oh. I haven't seen that one. It's exhausting. I don't think it exists. I'm making that up. But I do remember the part where the giant truck trailer smashes into their truck, but it was in the trailer, but in the motion picture show, it's cut out. Yeah. And I hate it. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. So we are here to talk about Whiplash now that we are 18 fuck minutes into this podcast. And who cares? Wouldn't you know it? The movie is uh, is well received by both critics and audiences alike. It is sitting at a whopping 94% certified fresh on the old tomato meter there for both critics and audience members. So let's just take a quick little look. How about we go through the bad first? Because there's only one person one person is dying <laughs> on this hill and that is candace frederick from real talk online top critic the film has potential but ultimately there's more bark than bite i don't know about all that let's see here some positive stuff let's see here kayla marsh from sight and sound chazelle's training a keen eye on the proceedings seems to delight in the spectacle of relentless punishment I know what that means, brah. <laughs> <laughs> sounds sounds good, though. Take your word for it. Let's see here. We have Kalichi Ayenlo. It says, J.K. Simmons completely owns his role. It's scary, bordering psychotic, and worth his Oscar win. Which, by the way, I saw in the trivia that J.K. Simmons has won upwards of like 40 awards for this role. Really? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's like the Zach Fest and the Don't Be Crazy podcast awards and shit like that. But either way, it was it was a lot. <laughs> My name is on like the movie scrolls. <laughs> it's like, this is a movie. <laughs> Zach Rancourt, Don't Be Crazy podcast. <laughs> yes. Uh, I want pictures Gallagos? of Spider-Man. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the menace. Ricardo Gallego says an energetic film about music, passion, sacrifice, and the fine line between excellence and excess. Ooh. Yeah. I think that that's, uh, that's astute. That's Those astute are two EX words. <laughs> yeah. So we'll end it on that one. This film had a budget of $400,000. Mostly spent on new drumsticks and drums because they break shit. <laughs> and band-aids. And, and band-aids <laughs> and cleaning products because of bloodborne pathogens. Oh my god. Yeah. Like Disney. Yeah, can't have you licking no drum sets when he's got blood all over him. Opening weekend, the film did hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars. That was on October tenth, two thousand fourteen. Grossed in the United States at a whopping thirteen million, and wouldn't you know it worldwide. million. And I have to believe a lot of that comes from the Oscar buzz once it uh, became a thing. I think uh, awards, uh, what do you call it? Like film festivals acknowledge that this movie was amazing. But I think once it uh, hit the mainstream and everyone knew that this was a big deal, they had to go out and see it. Yeah. And then once you get, you know, the mob mentality of the greater good, uh, everyone kind of follows suit. I mean, I drink that Kool-Aid, too. But uh, in this case, Justin, they were right. So, um, yeah. Want to hear some fun trivia facts? I can't wait for this fun trivia. I know. It's almost like you wrote them yourself. I didn't. uh, I I, I I copied and pasted. (laughs) That's basically writing. So the film was shot in 19 days. Hmm, 19 days. That's shorter than a season of WandaVision. Um, during the more intense practice scenes, the director wouldn't yell cuts so that Miles Teller would keep drumming until he exhausted himself. Wow. Maybe Chazelle was actually J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. For the slapping scene, J.K. Simmons and Miles Teller filmed several takes with Simmons only miming the slap. For the final take, Simmons and Teller decided to film the scene with a real genuine slap. This is the take that is in the film. And my goodness, that part made me uncomfortable when he was slapping him. Oh, shit. Flap, flap, flap it. Miles Teller, who has played the drum since he was 15, received blisters on his hands due to the vigorous, unconventional style of jazz drumming. Some of his blood was on the drumsticks and the drum set as a result. Ugh. Gross. Can't do that. Yeah. And then finally, the film is... <laughs> the film is one of the lowest grossing movies to ever be nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture. That's pretty cool. And that just goes to show, I mean, like, you know, the Academy is what it is, but a fact the fact that a, a Yeah, well, but the fact that a $400,000 film could be in the running and essentially it created Damien Chazelle's path to what he is now where he's this protege director and I really like the guy a lot, but I mean, you know, I, I think it's just it's fascinating that this kind of uh, streamlined him into that um, that whole style. But anyhow, um, cool. Andrew Neiman is a first year student at the prestigious Schaefer Conservatory in New York City. He has been playing drums from a young age and aspires to become a world class drummer like Buddy Rich. Terrence Fletcher, conductor and band leader of Schaefer Conservatory Studio Band, invites him into the ensemble as alternate for core drummer Carl Tanner. However, Andrew quickly discovers that Fletcher is relentlessly strict, ruthless, and abusive to his students. When the band rehearses the Hank Levy piece, Whiplash, and Andrew struggles to keep the tempo, not my tempo, <laughs> were, you, were you rushing or dragging? Wait, should hurls, I just play jazz music while you read this? Should I play go, some... Say, give it, dude, give it a bop. <laughs> dude. <laughs> do, 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 do. 
<laughs> Fletcher hurls a chair at him, slaps him multiple times, and berates him in front of the ensemble. In a jazz competition after their first set, Andrew misplaces Tanner's sheet music. When called for the uh, their second set, Tanner cannot play without his sheets, but Andrew claims he can perform Whiplash from memory. After a successful performance, Fletcher promotes Andrew to core drummer for the studio band, but he also recruits Ryan Connolly, the core drummer from a lower-level ensemble with, within the conservatory. Johnny Bravo. Uh, Andrew believes Connolly is a less talented drummer than he is and is infuriated when Fletcher promotes Connolly to core. Determined to impress Fletcher, Andrew practices until his hands bleed and breaks up with his girlfriend, Nicole, to focus on his musical ambitions. After a five-hour session with Tanner and Connolly for the core spot, in which Fletcher hurls chairs and screams at them, Andrew finally earns back the core spot. On the way to their next competition, the bus Andrew is riding breaks down. He rents a car, but, but arrives late and realizes he left his drumsticks at the rental office. After convincing an impatient Fletcher to wait for him, Andrew races back and retrieves them, but his car is hit by a truck on the way back. He crawls from the wreckage and runs back to the theater, arriving just as the ensemble enters stage. Bloody and injured, Andrew struggles to play Caravan, in which Fletcher halts the performance and dismisses Andrew, who then attacks him on stage, resulting in his expulsion from Schaefer. At his father's request, Andrew meets a lawyer representing the parents of Sean Casey, a former student of Fletcher, in an ethics complaint against Schaefer. Contrary to Fletcher's prior claim that Sean died in a car accident, the lawyer explains that Sean hanged himself out of depression and anxiety spurred on by Fletcher's abuse. Sean's parents want to see Fletcher forbidden from teaching again. Andrew agrees to testify as an anonymous witness and Fletcher is fired. Following his expulsion, Andrew has abandoned drumming and is working in a restaurant. He later discovers Fletcher performing as a pianist at a jazz club. Fletcher spots Andrew and invites him for a drink. Fletcher explains his dismissal from Schaefer and admits that his teaching methods were harsh, but everything he did was only so that his students would push themselves to become their absolute best, referencing Charlie Parker's rise to fame as an example. When Andrew asks if his methods would instead discourage students, Fletcher replies that the next Charlie Parker would never be discouraged. Fletcher invites Andrew to perform with his band at the JVC Jazz Festival, and they or as they would be playing the songs Andrew was confident in from their time at Schaefer and Andrew accepts. Andrew invites Nicole to the performance, but she declines as she is in a new relationship. New number. Who dis? Andrew arrives. Yeah. At, She's like, I don't know. I got a new boyfriend. that doesn't really like jazz music, so <laughs> he doesn't like all that skipper boo bop. Music. Don't like that scat man music. He likes reggae. So Andrew arrives at JVC hey, <laughs> and the bass, and the band goes on stage. Just before they begin their first piece, Fletcher uh, reveals that he knows that Andrew testified against him, and as revenge, leads the band with a song Andrew does not know and cannot find anywhere amongst his sheet music. Andrew walks off stage humiliated, but then Paul rises to the occasion. <laughs> he returns to the stage and cuts off Fletcher's introduction to their next piece by playing Caravan, queuing in the band himself. Fletcher is taken aback by, or taken aback, but resumes conducting. After Fletcher cues to last beat, to the last beat of the piece, Andrew continues paint. Andrew continues playing, continuing into an extended solo. After a moment of disbelief, Fletcher nods in approval of Andrew's performance before cueing the band finale. End of movie. That's yeah. Whiplash. That is Whiplash. <laughs> My bud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. What can you do? Now, when was the first time you watched the movie Whiplash? Um, so it came out in 2014. Uh, so probably 2015. 
Uh, my buddy, Brandon, he was kind of talking about it, how it was really good. And then I heard from a couple other people through the grapevine that it was good. Uh, my, my friend, Mark, he used to live over here in Seattle with me and it, we would do every Tuesday night. I think we would do Blu-ray movie night where we'd go rent something on Redbox, and then like me, him and his roommate and whoever else would get together to watch it. And so I, I decided, Hey, we should do whiplash. Uh, I really liked it, man. I was, I was very, very happy when I watched it. And that ending scene got me no pun intended. It got me jazzed up. Um, so yeah, the I mean, I've seen, the very ending drum scene, like the whole 15 minutes of the ending got me really, really jazzed up, but I definitely, uh, enjoyed it when I first saw it. Um, and I've seen it a few times since, uh, and I really, really enjoy this film. So 2015-ish is when I saw it. What about you? Uh, I saw it for the first time on Sunday. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I knew that in the back of my head somewhere, but... I fucking hate jazz it. music. I hate it so much. <laughs> I just, I can't stand it. <laughs> and every time there's like a, a TV show or a movie that takes place in like the New Orleans, like in the, in the, like in the quarter, in the French quarter, all you hear is just... In the background, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Wow. Uh, not a fan of the jazz. I don't like it. And I love live music. But for whatever reason, there's just two types of music that I cannot do. And that is jazz and country music. Just can't do it. <laughs> yeah. I feel you on that. <laughs> can't. I can't. It hurts my face. Do you enjoy jazz music? You know, I mean, I don't. I have Spotify and I, I love Spotify. I don't think that. I would ever open up Spotify and be like, hey, play the latest jazz music. Play, you know, Duke, Duke Ellington, please. Um, but I really do enjoy it, actually. And the it's deep tracks only. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Matthews band. Only the deep cuts. <laughs> no mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I used to listen to it in uh, honors English class in high school. Uh, our teacher, Mr. Clark, he would play like he'd play Willie Nelson and stuff. I know that's not jazz, but he would play ver a variety of music and sometimes he would play jazz and it was very uh, relaxing and easy to listen to because we would have it as like, you know, during our, our literary time where we would read our books. But um, it's pretty remarkable when you actually learn the history of it. And, and, and if you ever get a chance to see it live, because I'm like you, I, I, I love live music uh, because I'm just so envious of people that are that talented. When you see a jazz performance live, it's it's pretty remarkable. And, uh, you know, like some of the greatest musicians of all time have jazz roots and a lot of uh, mainstream artists have jazz roots or everything like that. I mean, some of the biggest names that you could think of in music were jazz artists. So, you know, you got Coltrane, Armstrong, Parker, Ellington. Lord. Um, <laughs> Lord. I am Lord. La la la. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, and, 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 and yeah, so I, I, I really enjoyed jazz, but that's interesting that you didn't so you didn't I hate, like, I hate jazz music but so did that make you not like the film what did you know because it's mostly just drums it's mostly just it's mostly just him wailing on fucking drums for 90 minutes so there's barely any like there were, there's like a cello every now and again like the boom 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 but um and then occasional but for the most part it's just <laughs> type stuff so uh it didn't bother me a whole lot why are you looking down there? There's no fucking Mars bar down there. <laughs> <laughs> what a meanie. Oh, oh my shit. God. 
<laughs> what if there was a Mars bar, though? <laughs> yeah, he'd feel, he'd feel stupid. <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about that because there's a lot of, you know, Mars own candy bars, you know, uh, Mars brand. But like, I haven't had an actual Mars bar, like one where the packaging says Mars on it. Yeah, they're pretty good. I've had one or I had one a long time ago. Um, I'm going to look real quick what's in it, per se. Um, it's just... I don't know. I mean, I've had all kinds of Mars chocolate, like your Snickers and your Twix and yeah. your M&Ms and what have you, but... Yes, um, but it is Twix. <laughs> but I've never had one that says fucking Martian Mars candy. <laughs> so in, in England, apparently it is just caramel, nougat, and milk chocolate. So it's a Milky Way, essentially, in England. Ah, so maybe it's more, yeah, there are two variants. It's like yeah, Carl's so, Jr. and Hardee's. <laughs> <laughs> when you cross the border, it just changes names. Tim Hortons and Dunkin' Donuts. But uh, yeah, so the, the global Milky Way bar, which is sold as a Three Musketeers in the U.S. and Canada, and the U.S. Milky Way bar, which is sold as a Mars bar worldwide, including Canada. So Rob and, <laughs> and Steven know about this, but uh, it, it's a Mars bar up there, apparently. It's a Milky Way. I'm not a Milky so Way a Milky, fan. So what is what is a Three Musketeer then? You said that. Three, a what Three Musketeer. Uh, the Global Milky Way Bar, which is sold as Three Musketeers in the U.S. and Canada, and the U.S. Milky Way Bar, which is sold as the Mars Bar Worldwide. <laughs> there are two variants. That's confusing. <laughs> That's what I get. I'm like, well, which one is it? Because those are two very different chocolates. Uh, we need I mean, to... they're kind of close. I don't know. We, whatever. Yeah. I feel like in New York, since they're so close to Canada, I mean, there's a higher relation to what Toronto or whatever. Um, that it's probably easier to maybe say Mars Bar. I don't, <laughs> I don't you know. know. My, my first experience with with metal or foil in a microwave came from a Three Musketeer. <laughs> no shit. I was like six years old, and I someone had put a Three Musketeer in the freezer because it was probably like melting or whatever. So I was like, well, I can't have that. I can't break no teeth. And so I put it in the microwave, and then I just see sparks all over the goddamn place. I'm like, Jesus Christ. So I opened up the microwave, and it was like all stuck to the, to the chocolate. It was nuts. <laughs> I, I, I tried it when I was I was around the same age and I was heating up chicken fingers and for some reason I left the foil in like the to-go box and my mom started screaming because she saw sparks and I was like yeah. are they I was like are they done though? <laughs> the sparks cooking faster, you see. Yeah. They're light. They have air. They're helium. <laughs> yeah, so they're very light. Holy shit. Anyway, enough of the science I've been talking. How about that Miles Teller? How about that guy? He was in every single scene in Wintblash. Do you uh you think it was pretty good? How would you rate Miles Teller's performance? Yeah. I mean, I think he was I think he was solid. I wasn't blown away by him just because I think that there are a variety of actors that probably could have done this role. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, there, there are, you know, that's not, but that's not to say that's not to take away from the fact that he actually did a really good job. I just think that it's hard with, with Andrew's particular character because he's overshadowed by Fletcher, you know, JK Simmons and JK Simmons was just, uh, he was electric. He was, flawless in this movie and it's so hard to have any type of focus on a different character other than his character because I mean the whole movie is dictated off of what he does but I think Miles Teller did a good job of showing you know like his self his self-destruction towards that towards that uh, ultimate goal of perfection 
But I think that there are a lot of actors who are capable of that. I mean, one person that could come to mind, I guess, would just be like, maybe like, uh, what's the dude's name? Tom Holland. Uh, I think he'd be good. He's kind of like the same age. I don't know. Um, I don't think so. I think Miles uh, Teller is old. I don't think he's that old, right? I mean, he was born in 1987. He's your age. Oh, 33. And then some. So I, I could have been good in it. I'd have been like, dude, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm <laughs> Stop yelling at me, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't can know. I I mean, can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish? <laughs> so he, he did. He did a good. He did a good job. I mean, it was it was a very believable for performance. And I think uh, the icing on, on top of the cake was the fact that he um, he he actually knew how to drum. So I think that that was really neat. Uh it's interesting because I watched this movie and Sound of Metal, which are both about drumming. Uh, and Riz Ahmed had a fantastic performance in that. Uh, and I think he really did learn how to drum for that movie, too. Um, but I, I think there's something that goes into the onus of your character and your, and your role when actors become method actors and they really get into that. I mean, they easily could have had a double drum for Andrew and I'm sure that there were parts of it that they they did have but it's cool when they actually like learn that kind of stuff um and a fun fact uh actually in La La Land I know you're not a fan of that movie but in La La Land uh Ryan Gosling learned how to play the piano and uh, John Legend was actually really impressed with how much he had learned he like full-on taught him well I mean I'm sure he had you know teachers and stuff but he full-on taught himself how to play so I thought that, that was really cool but um, I think I think you you really get a uh, some agency out of the character in that sense or out of the actor in that sense. But yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, did you like him? Yeah, I was fine with him. I like him in the movie where he's his friend's birthday. Twenty one something. Twenty one and under twenty one and over. <laughs> I, <don't remember>. <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. Does it take place? There's one that takes place in Seattle and it's like it's, it's like a it's like this. It's like a college town and they're yeah, all it's it's Seattle. It's at UW. Um, I like that movie. Yeah. Twenty one and over. It's with uh, and their friend gets like lost or whatever. He's really drunk. Yeah. Jeff Jeff Chang. Yeah. And that one gal is in it who's really good. She played the she played in Terminator, didn't she play in Terminator? No, she didn't. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know the name of the movie. I just remember liking him in that. I don't uh I don't see too many Miles Teller movies. I saw War Dogs, which I actually didn't like. Yeah. I wanted to like it a lot only because I like Todd Phillips, but I just wasn't into it. I yeah. Feeling it. I watched the Footloose remake. He's pretty good in that. Yeah, he played uh, Chris something. He played Willard. He played Chris whatever's role. You know, the country bumpkin who's friends with Kevin Bacon. Yeah. He played that Chris, guy. Yeah, what was his name? Uh, he's He was in uh, Reservoir Dogs and everything. Yeah, Chris Penn. Yeah, Chris Penn. He plays his part in that movie. The skinny Chris Penn. Yes. <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Let's, go, let's move on. J.K. Simmons, he has a real commanding presence on screen. Every time he walked into a room, you could sense the fear in each of these students. It was palpable, Zach. Have you ever had a teacher or a boss that exuded that same fearful vibe? Um, I mean, I had some bosses that I... I mean, I was I was kind of scared of, but I never really got to know them, per se, or they were either too busy to really get to know my name. 
I've never had the, <laughs> I've never had this. You. <laughs> the guy with the hair. Um, pick it up, pick it up. Yeah. Moly over there. But uh, they, I, I've never really had uh-huh. some who's had, who's had a real commanding presence like that. Um, I, I think I've had, I have had a teacher that was well respected, but never really feared nothing to the JK Simmons level. Um, my coach in football, in uh, high school, uh, I was always terrified of him just because I never thought I saw him smile the entire time I knew him. Um, his name was Coach C. And uh, finally, like my senior year, I was doing some good stuff and I got like some accolades. I'm like, oh, he has a soul. But I don't know. I, I, I never I wasn't like Andrew's character and I wasn't, you know, drumming until 3 a.m. in the morning. But I can't think of anybody in, uh, specifically that I have had it act like that i mean do you know anybody possibly or was it uh, you yourself no no there was a kid that thought at target that thought i was like really mean but i'm like are you not <laughs> asking anyone here i'm like i'm the favorite i'm the cool guy but he was scared of me for some reason are you rushing or dragging <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know it, it kind of caught me off guard i'm like what do you mean i'm not approachable i'm like the most approachable human being in this <laughs> fucking store but um i don't know he must have just saw me have a bad day or something because he was terrified of me and i don't understand that by any stretch of the imagination but uh whatever i know everyone else thought it was funny too They're like do they has he even talked to you before i'm like i don't know man so i tried to play cool with him but it just wasn't working out but it's an interesting fella um yeah, but weird. i've had i've had a couple of um bosses that i respected to the point where i didn't like goof off or anything you know like i would just uh, back when I was like selling cars and stuff, you know, there, there was a president there that was just sort of he had a commanding presence about himself. And so I always tried really hard to to be respectful of him and and his time. But I was never like afraid of him or anything. Right. I was lucky, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't I don't, I've never I don't think I could work under somebody that would be I mean, obviously that extreme. But sure. I so, I mean, that was literally going to be my next question. Like, do you agree with Fletcher's teaching methods? And would you find his yelling and belittling to be effective to your learning style? Well, <clears throat> so I think this is this is a long question or a long answer, but I'll try to just keep it. Short. Yes or no, Zach. <laughs> no. So I, I think I think it's twofold. I understand where Fletcher's like coming from. I like myself because then there's three <laughs> lines. Yeah. Uh, Technically only two, but it folds in three pieces. Are, are you finished? Sorry. Finished? <laughs> <laughs> so I agree with his, I agree with his methods in the sense of uh, the, the culmination of his teaching methods is, is basically explained when him and Andrew are having drinks towards the end of the film. And he says, you know, two of the most uh, damaging words. What does he say exactly? I have it written down. Um, it's uh, la, 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 la. Hold on. oh, there are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. So I think that's fascinating because he's kind of right in a certain sense where some people are really good or they have potential to be so good. And I mean, you and I have both been managers for situations and we both run into people that, you know, or even not even just managers at work, but I mean, in, in life at, at various things, we've met people who have so much potential to do something, but for some reason they're holding back. And I think Fletcher has a, an eye for that. He can see talent and he knows what he wants and he, he knows how to who gain, you know, quote unquote perfection. But therein lies the issue is, 
perfection is it, it's a pipe dream. It's something that I don't think you can ever be because because in no in my opinion there's no such thing as perfect. You can you can attain ninety nine point nine percent basically. It's like Lysol kills ninety nine point nine percent of all germs, but you never get that hundred percent perfection. And his methods, although archaic and and crazy, um, they they work. We, we we see what happens. But huge but. I would never agree with him hitting someone, uh, physically abusing someone and using derogatory language like that, homophobic remarks like he does. He throws he throws the F word around, not the not fuck, he throws the other F word around a lot. And it's it's really uncomfortable. Um, and he uh, you know, he abuses people both mentally and physically. You can't do that. It's not something I understand you need to push people, but uh for for this situation, I mean that that would be one of the quick, quickest ways for me to be like, fuck this, man. I'm going to go work at, I don't know, a car dealership or something. I, I, I think you, you have to you have to toe that line a little bit. And in the military, you have the yelling and the belittling and everything because you they want to have discipline. And I get it. We all kind of have that that moment, right? You, you don't want to, to make weak people. You want them to unleash their potential. But I think that Andrew asks that towards the end, you know, he says, well, where, but is there a line? And maybe you've gone too far. And Fletcher's like, no, because the next Charlie Parker uh, wouldn't have been discouraged. Basically. It's pretty crazy, but so I don't know. I'm kind of, kind of on the fence with it. I'd, I'd probably say, I, I, I think the, the, the abuse is, is, is not right. <laughs> I think that's, that's pretty, that's pretty obvious, but. Sure. I mean, I don't want to get yelled at. I yell at you all the time. <laughs> I've been yelled at before, I and I'm like just it. like, "Cool, man." <laughs> <You know? laughs> but uh, I mean, it sucks. But you know, some, it's. I think there's a difference between, you know, '80s cop movie where the captain is yelling at the the imbecile police that can't get their job right versus <laughs> you're making my dick itch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think Axel <laughs> makes my dick itch. Um, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's that kind of leadership style and that I don't find it to be terribly effective, at least not for me. You know, I don't want someone yelling at me. I mean, but if they had a tone like, dude, really, man, you're better than that. Yeah. Then I'd be like, yeah. fuck, let this person down. I think, and I think that's the biggest thing is like one of the things that I had a party when I was in high school, when my mom was in Vegas, I was a senior. It was a really big party. Uh, um, yeah. It was a really big party and, uh, you know, obviously it was underage, but uh, the word got out. And I mean, even like our school resource officer found out about it and he showed up to my house. The, <laughs> he, no, he showed up to my house the day of and he's like, so is this where the party's at? And I was like, oh, shit. And he goes, now, you know, if you want it, because I was I wanted to be a cop then. He's like, if you want to continue on with my class, you can't be doing that. And so I was like, all right. And I still did it anyways. But. I know. So anyways, the party went off without a hitch. It was going really great. But then all of a sudden, these Anacortis guys showed up and they fought some of my friends from Mount Vernon for some reason. Just how parties get out of hand. And this really awesome party with like 30 people inside this tiny townhouse turned into a brawl. It was like the sharks versus the jets. And uh, and then everyone just bailed. And all of a sudden the cops came. Uh, I left because I was like, fuck this. Your house. I know my sister was still there. Uh, I don't know why she opened the door, but her and her four friends who were still there all got MIPs. The cops called me and they're like, where are you? I'm like, don't worry about it because <laughs> I was at a different party. Um, so I, but I, I cleaned everything up. I was like really worried and my mom didn't know about it, but of course she found out and 
she told me, she's like, you lost my trust. And that hurt me the most was just because I needed her trust. And she wasn't yelling at me. She just said, I'm disappointed in you. You, you, you know, I, you lost my trust. And I think when a parent tells you they're disappointed in you or when a friend, like if Justin, if you're like, I'm really disappointed in you by this, I would be like, fuck. <laughs> I would never tell you that even if I believed it. Yeah. And, and I think <laughs> that just, that just really, it, it really hurts. But I, but I think if Fletcher did something like that with Andrew, it, it depends on what type of person you are. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if that's what Andrew's dad had ever disciplined him as, but it sounds like who, his who dad, knows? from what we saw of his father, he was always supportive no matter what. Yeah. He was eating raisinets every every day and whatnot. He's kind of a, yeah, he's kind of a pushover. It doesn't seem like he really had that structure or that I don't know that discipline necessarily. If that makes any sense, but yeah. I mean, even to the point where he wasn't eating the raisinets, he's like, well, "Why'd you buy them? <laughs> he's yeah, like, well, I just eat around him." So it's like, how much <laughs> does he really know his son? That's true. Yeah, that's true. You know, they're like they're living in this comfort bubble. And maybe they haven't had the hard conversations. Yeah. I don't know. Right. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But No, that's good. I, I agree with you. I'm mad about you. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Bark. Ah, aliens. <laughs> what can you do? All right. So let's talk about Andrew and Nicole there. They obviously like each other, but Andrew decides he's Miles' fortune teller and he sees the future built on resentment. <laughs> That was a good one, right? Yeah. I was laughing when I typed that. Yeah. He will be busy playing his drums and he'll complain that she does, or she'll complain that she doesn't see him enough and then he'll spend more time with her. Of course, he'll be resenting her because he's not practicing. He's like, the fuck, man? I want to be, be whacking my drums and I can't right now because I'm partying with you and I hate it. And ultimately, the two will become miserable. So he breaks it off without even giving it a chance. It was rather heartbreaking for me to watch. Have you ever been on the receiving end of a conversation like that? You know, it's funny you say that because I definitely have. Uh, this gal that I dated for a little over a year, I absolutely loved her. She was uh, one of my better relationships. Now, I say that now because I'm prefacing it, but I mean, we broke up four times when we were dating. Now, there's a lot that goes into it, and I won't say her name, but we basically... She dumped me after a few months of dating uh, via text, which she said was like her pet peeve when when relationship ended through text. So, you know, sure enough, I was at Target working there and I got a text and it's like, hey, I just don't think this is going to work, blah, blah, blah. Of course, I had to call her and figure it out. Um, I was able to discuss it with her. And basically she said, you know, I think at the first sign of trouble, my, my, um, defense mechanism is just to end things because I know that you are probably going to break up with me. So I'm just going to end it. And it's sad because this is how her past relationships were. And so I had to have a conversation with her. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good at talking. So we talked and we got through it. Uh, it happened again for a slightly different reason, but a lot of the same stuff, um, had the same conversation and then went on and it was going really well. And then it happened again. And then I told her, I said, you know, if this, this is it, we can get back together. But if it happens one more time, we're done. Right. Um, like I swear to God, you guys call me little bitch 13 or 14 more times (laughs) and I'm out of (laughs) here. Um, so finally it it happened after a, a little over a year for the fourth time. And I was just like, yep, Sorry, no, no going back. Um, she did try to come back and apologize. It was very cyclical, but it was one of those things that it, I, I kept telling her, I'm like, if you have this preconceived notion or or this uh, 
I don't know if you want to call it manifest destiny of what's going to happen with us, then that's not a way to live a relationship. And Andrew was such a piece of shit when he was telling her that because you could tell like on their first date where she's just like, yeah, I mean, I got into Fordham and or whatever school she went to. And she's like, yeah, you know, it just, it, it is what it is. I don't really, it was like my, one of my choices and they accepted me. And he is so anti that he's like, oh, well, what the hell? You didn't, you didn't want that school. You can tell he's analyzing her from the get go. And I felt so bad for her because he didn't even give her a chance. He was automatically assuming that she would feel a certain way. And I think that my ex that did that, it was, it was a bummer. Um, one thing, one good thing I did learn about that relationship was I, I know that if I've had uh, the starts of a relationship or I've gotten to know somebody and I've been like, Hey, I, I just don't think this is going to work out because of this reason. It, it's, it's not like, you know, three years down the road, I think this is what's going to happen. It's more, I just don't think we're a good fit. You know, like I can't wear skinny jeans. I know that as a fact. So <laughs> that's something that is akin to me understanding that maybe this isn't going to work between us. If that makes, if that's a metaphor, but <laughs> that really happened. Yeah, <laughs> but I got him in the back. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's I, I've been on the receiving and I've been probably slightly on the giving end of that. Um, probably in my younger 20s, I was on the giving end of that just as an excuse. But uh, it does suck, man. So I understand Melissa Benoist's character, Nicole. I understand kind of kind of what she's going through. Maybe not in this sense, because Andrew was just so blunt about it. Yeah, he's kind of dickish. Like he. Like yeah. Asperger's in a way where he's just like, you know, you mentioned when she says what school she goes to and he was like, okay, so you're basically settling for mediocrity. And she's like, well, what about your school? And he's like, yeah, it happens to be the best music school in the world. <laughs> yeah. With honors. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Fuck him. I mean, but like, fuck him because. Yeah, a bit pretentious, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's super pretentious. And I mean, I think there's a lot that goes into that too, though. And and we get a taste of what Andrew's life is like at the dinner scene with his cousins who are football players and whatnot, where he's just constantly um, overshadowed by everyone else, everyone else's accomplishments. So I get it. But I mean, you can't, how can you have a happy life if that's all you care about? It's right. It, it's, it's fascinating to me, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you can. And I don't think, I don't know if he'll ever be happy, to be honest with you. Um, there are, Maybe when he grows out of whatever it is that he's dealing with and he finds out what is important to him, you know, he did call the nice girl and she was not available. And that could be a bit of a wake up call for him, you know, like what is important. But as of right now, in in 2014, he needs to be playing his drums and that's all that matters to him. Yeah. I mean, it it took him losing pretty much everything to realize what he had and he gave up. So, yeah, what can you do? Yeah, it would be better if he just knew ahead of time. <laughs> I know he's so good at predicting the future. <laughs> well, he's so good at predicting the future. Why the fuck can he predict that? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> what can he do now? Are you a fan of films that showcase performing arts? You mentioned the the sound of death metal music movie that you watched at the beginning of the movie or the beginning of the podcast. What was that called? Sound of Metal. Sound of Metal. That's right. It's really good. Where this welder gets this awesome job where he's (laughs) clinking and clanking pipes together. And it's he has the same same Nordic voice as every character in Skyrim, too. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Go speak to the Yarl. Wrong way to be here. (laughs) 
if you're looking for the iron ingot, go speak to the Jarl. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go walk into this bench for the next two hours. I know. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, motion picture shows like like that, uh, The Sound of Metal, Break-In, Break-In 2, Electric Boogaloo, Fame, Step Up, <laughs> Center Stage, Black Swan, Drum Line, Stomp the Yard, etc. Footloose, you mentioned earlier, but I don't yeah. know if that really counts. But yeah, I mean, they're not at a school performing for like a grade as it were, you know, they're not like uh, trying to in footloose. It's just having a good time. Right. You know, this town is outlawed music. Yeah. Dancing. Can't do that. Can't do that. Yeah. John Lithgow. Versus, you know, a professional career in performing arts or going to school in performing arts. Um, are you a fan of these types of, of movies? Oh yeah. Uh, I absolutely do. I, I, even though they're kind of formulaic in a certain sense where, I guess it depends on which one. Um, sometimes if you have like a fish out of water or like a, a raw, you know, hip hop dancer who has to go to Juilliard to dance or something, they have to change their style, but then they add their own flair to it. Right. You know, the teacher turns their hat backwards. Oh yeah. What's cool. the one where Julia Stiles learns how to dance hip hop? Um, Oh man. I just drew a blank. Save the last dance. Save the last so, dance. That's right. Yeah. And that one's okay. Uh, I don't really like Julia Stiles at, at all. Really? But, um, you know, I think even though they're formulaic, I really do enjoy the movies a lot. Uh, Step Up was actually really fun. The The first three were actually really fun. And I really enjoyed Step Up to the streets because uh, she has to go. Annie has to go to uh, she does like some break dancing, crunking stuff. And then she has to go to like a dance academy where they do uh, interpretive dance. I don't know. And then she like adds her own flair. And it's this really awesome dance battle at the end of the film. Um, so I, I enjoy those types of movies and this one is, is, is interesting though. Cause whiplash, there's not a lot of set pieces. It's a, it's a lot like a play. Um, you could, you could even turn it into a play just by switching out a couple things. Like you could imply a car crash. Uh, you could imply a bus breaking down all that stuff. But I mean, you have the music room, the music room, the stage, uh, and backstage and then like his apartment. That's those are kind of the only things you really need to do. But um, this movie was was really honed in on on that. So it wasn't necessarily about the academy or or the entire school itself. But I don't know. I, I really I, I like those movies. I can't think of any off, off the top of my head other than, you know, like Save the Last Dance. Uh, <laughs> I mean, a lot. Fo- Fo- Footloose. It's I mean, it's Dirty I, Dancing. I think Dirty Dancing counts because well, that's a professional that an dancer. That's. No, oh. but I mean, they're professional dancers that are being that are working to entertain the guests and they have to be amazing. Like showgirls. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> you know, and Step Up has P.D. Pablo in the soundtrack, which is cool because it's got that show off that body. You got you got that dance flow <laughs> so hot. You working that you talking that you taking it like a clock. It's also got that song. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good um, so Who am it, I, Peter Paul, <laughs> there you go. Take your head off and twirl it around your head like a helicopter. But uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. You actually mentioned Black Swan because I watched a really good video from Lessons from the Screenplay on YouTube. And it, these are very similar movies because Black Swan, you've you've seen it, right? Yeah. I saw it at the theater. It's, uh, it's I wore a imp- tuxedo. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Were you trying to impress, impress Miss Natalie Portman? Or I what? had opera glasses. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> nice. Well, that movie is about perfection, too, and that strive for perfection and how far you go to essentially 
abuse and sabotage your own self in order to attain being perfect. And I mean, that movie is an anxiety filled two hour ride. It's, it's crazy. Um, I think there, there's a lot of similarities between that film and this, uh, where you have this performing teacher who's the highest of high, who's kind of a prick. And then you have somebody like the Ryan Conley and the Mila Kunis character who are the motivation for the person to do better. The competition, uh, mm-hmm. the, the parents who are in black Swan, the mom is a lot more, uh, crazy town uh, banana pants. Oh my God. When she's cutting her fingernails, I was like, ah, yeah. Uh, oh, um, I hate that. Yeah, she reminds me of the I mom in, in the move, the drug movie, uh, Requiem for a Dream. Like, I'm yeah. going to be on television. Like, Ellen kind of crazy. Like, your time has passed, and she's, like, stuck in this, like, time bubble. It drives me nuts. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, because she was a former dancer. Um, I mean, Paul Reiser's completely different. You're right. You know, because he, he's just the most mild-mannered high school teacher, failed writer. Um, Andrew comes from a family of non-musical people. So it's almost like he has to, and J.K. Simmons calls him out on this. He's like, you know, you grew up with Buddy Rich or whatever. Um, you're just a wannabe pretty much. Whereas uh, Natalie Portman's character, I forgot her name. She is this like protege. Swan. Miss yeah. Swan. <laughs> no, that's not it. <laughs> but <Black> her. Swan. <laughs> her but, her, but mo- her, your her mom has been. <laughs> but you blick. Her mom has been. Her mom has been uh, grooming her since, since, you know, since she was a young kid. And so uh, the pressure. Hard to groom a swan. Feathers everywhere. Everywhere. And bloodshot red eyes. But. I mean, those are those are two pretty remarkable films and uh, by two pretty spectacular directors. So I think those are good examples, Justin. I've never seen Break Into Electric Boogaloo, though. Oh, I know. shit. I've heard of it. Life. Dude, it's all about saving the rec center. This place is like <laughs> derelict <laughs> building that's falling apart and their dance Locked abilities. Down at the rec center? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Their, their fucking dance moves are going to just repaint the walls and reinforce the steel and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> Holy shit. It's good stuff. Special K and Ozone and Turbo. Forget about it. You know, performing arts is interesting because acting, I think, while it's hard to do, I don't know if it has the same uh, physical uh, damaging abilities. <laughs> so, like, when you're a professional dancer, you're, you are just constantly you have to be in the best shape of your life. And you are working all day, every day. You're basically at the gym for like 13 goddamn hours, right? If you're a professional dancer. If you are uh, a musician, you're practicing until you go insane, right? And like in his case for the drums, his hands are all bleeding and it's awful. The competition is is nuts. It's through the roof and, and there's all this pressure. Um, but when you're acting, you know, yeah, there's a lot of competition, but, you know, you can just... St- have a body that's like John Candy and be the funniest fucking man on screen and everyone love you. Right. Yeah. And I think that, that I think there's a difference in those performing arts. And I, I always, I never could quite understand what the payoff was to be a professional dancer. You know, someone that's in the background that has to be, bring their a game all day, every day and, and worry about the food that they're eating and pay the bills and look amazing and be amazing. It is a very hard life, and and the damage that is doing to your body. I mean, we mentioned Black Swan, uh, someone that is a that is a ballet dancer. You know, their feet go through the ringer, and they are going to hate themselves. Fast forward five minutes from now, because their body is just so ruined. 
And I don't quite understand. I, I will never understand what it means to be a professional dancer or musician, because even if you're just fucking on tour, you know, you're, you're Metallica, right? That doesn't mean that you don't go through the same kind of problems. You know, you're going to be on the road all the time. You're going to be away from your family. You're going to be away from your own bed. You're going to start, maybe you'll start doing drugs. Maybe you'll drink a lot. You're going to find coping mechanisms that are, that are going to feel good in the moment, but ultimately damage your life. And so many different musicians have gone on tour and are just depressed or they end up having to go to rehab because they've taken up some horrible habit and it is just damaging. The The physical damage that performing arts can do on a human being is nuts. Yeah. And I don't quite, I, I will never be able to understand the drive for someone to, to go to this school and to abuse their body so that they can be at Carnegie Hall. Like, I don't, that is not for me, or even like an Olympian. You know, you know, you mentioned there's no such thing as perfect, right? Um, then there was uh, Nadia, that that Romanian girl who was like 14 that got a perfect 10, and she was probably living like a crazy life of of just nothing but practice from the time she was a whippa to the time she became an Olympian. And I I don't know, man. That's some dedication, and that's I think that's the word, right? Is dedication. But I mean, that review mentioned earlier, you know, borders on the edge of excellence and excess. Like, when is it too much? The answer is never, right? They they are never going to be happy. They have to do this. This is their this is their life. This is their dream. This is their goal, and they are not going to stop until they achieve it. Yeah, and that's I, I can't do it. So I. I dated this gal for a hot minute and uh, she was really into CrossFit. I mean, she was good. She was she was just a, this yoked girl, like super fit. Um, and and it was great, you know, because we we had conversations about fitness and I, I care about fitness, but not anywhere near the extent of what she does, where it became an issue because it's like, oh, hey, do you want to go grab a beer tonight? No, I can't. I'm not drinking beer this next three months because I have competitions or something. And I'm kind of like, that's great, but how how does this? What 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 are you trying to accomplish by this? And 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 I get where people's mentalities are because I mean the long and short of it is maybe this was her dream or maybe she had some complex when she was younger that she needed this. And and who am I to come in and tell her that she's wrong? And I think it's amazing the the determination and focus that she had to to do yeah, this. The discipline, I think, is like absolutely the key word there. Yeah. But but for me, I'm like, where where's the line? How, I want to party far- with you. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm serious. I'm like, because for me, like, so I go, I go to the gym without being, you know, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, um, tone down my hubris a little, but, uh, I go about five days a week and I'm, I'm really active in the, in terms of outdoors and stuff. But I mean, for me, dude, if I want like a pizza, I'm going to go eat a pizza. I'm not going to be like, Oh, my calories are over, but um, yes, but they can have a candy bar, a Mars bar. Mars bar. <laughs> <laughs> now is that the global Mars bar or is that the worldwide Mars bar? What we'll have, we'll have to ask our bud. Did you flew it over there? He'll tell us. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, it's something that I I, I want to enjoy my life, and I, I've understood that from a long time ago. But I'll be it bon for me. Bon Jovi, it's my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. This ain't the song for the brokenhearted. But dun, uh, dun. <laughs> I think that's a jazz song. But um, I don't think so. <laughs> that is not accurate. <laughs> but we, it's 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 just interesting because that's not my determination, but that my that was hers, and that's totally fine. But I think it's it's hard to have any real relationship or 
fuck, I don't actually, I, I shouldn't even say that, but I, I, it's just, that's not something that I can see eye to eye with somebody because I want to enjoy my time on earth. And maybe if that's how they want to enjoy their time, then that is a hundred percent. Okay. It's just not what I would want to do or something that I wouldn't see as enjoying your life. Just yeah. Food for that. <laughs> I like food. I love food. Did you say cake? <laughs> yeah. Steak. Oh, oh yeah, that's what it is. Me and Deuce were friends. <laughs> sure, we talked about sex. But <laughs> <laughs> All right, so back to J.K. Simmons. This man is probably one of the best actors working today. What are some of his most memorable or standout performances that come to your mind? <laughs> I trust my barber. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so e- easily the first thing that comes to mind is because the fir- it's the first thing I saw him in, uh, Spider-Man. Um, I think he was fantastic in those movies. Uh, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans to clear it up. And then uh, it's cool to see him reprise his role as J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man Far From Home film at the end. Uh, so I'm excited to see how they run with that. Uh, I think he's just fantastic. I really liked him in I Love You, Man. I have two best yeah. friends. And Hank <laughs> Rob- Mardukas. Robbie <laughs> and Hank Mardukas. I talked to Hank Mardukas on the phone once a week, every day for like 10 years or whatever. He's 20, 20 years. years. Yeah. yeah. Um, here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I got season tickets. Um, he Everything was. I got. Everything I got. He was awesome in Juno. I really liked him as a, gr- a grounded uh, father in Juno. He just was a good support system for the family. And then uh, recently in Palm Springs, I enjoyed his 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 role in that a lot. Oh yeah, I thought he was enough. so good in that movie. And uh, this one for sure. I mean, this is probably his best role. Uh, the guy won an Oscar, and. He is absolutely captivating the entire every single moment he is on screen. It's not wasted. He hasn't he didn't waste a single second on screen. It's it's almost flawless. I mean, we just talked about perfect. It's almost flawless for his role. It's just unbelievable. I mean, I I was captivated each time I've seen this film. I've just been captivated, captivated and terrified to meet this guy. <laughs> like mm-hmm. if I ever met JK, but please don't throw anything at me. Dude, you know? did you watch Oz? Cause he was a creeper. That's in that. right. Yeah. Burn wasn't he Challenger? like, a, wasn't he like yeah. a white supremacist or something? Yeah. In Oz? Oh <laughs> my Scary. God. Holy yeah. shit. Mm. Did, did you ever see extract? I fucking love that movie. And he um, is in with that. Jason Bateman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Jennifer so Garner, I think he calls everyone. No, it's uh, Jennifer Aniston. No. Extract oh. has uh, Mila Kunis, and then his wife is Kristen Wiig. Oh, I was way off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Samsonite. Yeah, exactly. And so in in Extract, he calls everyone uh, like Dinkus. It's pretty great. He's like, "You, Brian, you really gotta start learning their names because he's like Dinkus over there." <laughs> and then he even introduces a guy. He's about to say Dinkus, and then he's like. I'm sorry, I've forgotten your name. <laughs> oh, that's pretty great. And that's like one of Ben Affleck's awesomest roles too, because he's like this total like stoner bartender guy, and he's just mm-hmm. like so out of character, and he's he's really funny. Yeah, he's leaving this whole town in his rear view. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, you're right. With Spider Man, that's a, that's a really good call because I mean, Dave and Randy and myself, we can't go a conversation without saying something like "No jobs." Freelance or, <laughs> freelance or or yeah. Christmas meat. <laughs> we'll say that sometimes too. <laughs> nice Christmas meat. Spider Man so, is a menace. Uh, <laughs> menace terrorizes the city. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's it really hard for us not to quote him. Uh, he's fantastic. Uh, he's he's really good. He's he's I can't. It, it's hard. I mean, we talk about all these superhero castings. You know, like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine and. All that kind of stuff, but uh, J. Jon- J. Jonah Jameson, uh, J.K. Simmons playing him is pretty goddamn perfect. So. I agree, one hundo. He's a fine young man. 
up town all the way. So let's talk about the ending. It just sort of stops. <laughs> you know, what do you make of that? Do do Andrew and Fletcher finally understand one another, Frodo Baggins? Are they are we led to believe that the right people are in the audience and Andrew is going to land a gig playing the drums at Carnegie Hall? Was was Fletcher just what the doctor ordered to push Andrew to the breaking point only to rise to the occasion? Because like his dad was always just supportive. If he was a homeless kid just in a flannel drinking a Starbucks, his dad would still be proud of him. So, I mean, <laughs> I think that, I mean, that's great to be supportive, but I think that uh, at the end of the day, you do need that motivation. And, you know, we were talking earlier about whether or not this was effective for our learning style, the way that uh, the the coach was. And um, he's, he's brutal. But I mean, I think at the end of the day, we get this, we are left with the impression that this is exactly the kick in the ass that Andrew needed to be successful. What are yeah. your thoughts? Well, I, I personally think that the ending works just as it needs to. The movie's already about like an hour and 45 minutes, which to me, that's a, that's a good amount of time for a film like this with not a, not a huge plot. I mean, it's pretty linear, but I didn't need it to be over two hours. Um, so this really worked for me. And the final 15 minutes is essentially the intense drum scene, you know, the pinnacle of, of, of the entire film. And, and so to me, yeah, like I think I think Fletcher and Andrew, they had this culmination where they're finally on the same page. And I thought it was so brilliant. I thought I think it was arguably just in one of my top moments in film history was that that drum scene. I mean, I was on edge the entire scene and when Andrew finally got to that tempo that Fletcher actually wanted and, and he, you slowly see JK Simmons change in his facial features and expressions. It's, it's like subtle approval up until the moment where he picks over his symbol after he hits it over, you know, and he tightens it and he kind of nods at Andrew and he's like telling him to pick it up and slow it down. It's even the look of, of, um, adoration that that andrew has on his face too it's it's like i finally did something for 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 dad basically like fletcher's like his dad and i think it, it's incredible and i i heard a theory on this too that maybe this was fletcher's plan all along was to sabotage andrew to push him to that point because he wanted to push him to that moment to be the next charlie parker to be the next buddy rich to be the next duke ellington whatever right he said he's never had a charlie parker and i think he saw something amazing in andrew but andrew was too much of a little baby or whatever he was in in fletcher's eyes and and he needed to get him to a moment where he could just let loose and do whatever possible um, so I think, I think it was brilliant. And I mean, I've seen this ending. I've, I've just watched the ending, like probably about 10 times over because that impossible drum solo by Buddy Rich is just phenomenal. And I, I think, I think just everything that he does when he coaches him in, 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 at the end, it's just, oh man, it's so good. I mean, what did you think about that ending? I was like, all right, <laughs> that's it. That's yeah. it. Were, were you okay with it just abruptly ending, or did you need it to be more? Did you need him to go no, shake never hands or anything? I'm less is more. I'm okay yeah. with it because he got we got the nod, we got the smile, we got yes. the nod, and then cut to black. And I think when he, when he fixed the symbol, uh, that was the key that he's going along with it. You know? Oh yeah. He wasn't he wasn't mad at him anymore. He was proud of him. Because uh, you know the show must go on, but he's sitting there fixing the symbols, and I thought that was great. And he's up there, and he's waiting for the cue. And 
that was that was the moment, right? Where he was like, all right, this is happening. I get it. Um, you know, we're finally we're finally on the same fuck page after an hour and 47 minutes. And that's that's what it took. And I think if we didn't get the 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 look in his eye, the twinkle in his eye and the and the smile, because it was up really close on on J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. It was right on Fletcher's like, cho- like upper half out. of his face. Yeah. yeah. And we saw in his eyes the acceptance and and the not only that, but just that he was proud of him. He was remarkably proud of him. Like, this is it. This is what it's all about. And, you know, talking about just the the career of someone that is a musician or in performing arts, it is the most it is brutal. It's downright brutal. It's gonna kick your ass and you're gonna hate yourself and you're gonna hate your job. But I think that in you you mentioned, you know, like a drill sergeant sort of you know, they they talk that way to you to to save you in a lot of ways. And I think that that's a that's a profession that you and I could never understand to that degree. But I think that in a way it is necessary. It is it is prepping them for having that hard skin, that thick skin to be able to take anything, to be able to take criticism, to realize that, you know, you're not perfect, like you said, but you need to get as close to perfection as you possibly can. And right now, this isn't it. Whereas yeah. at the end of the movie, it was, holy shit, look at you, man. You're doing it. Everything that you thought was so hard, that was so impossible, look at you right now. You're fucking, you're leading the show right now. Yeah. Why do we fall, Bruce? So we can learn to pick ourselves back up. Oh, I mean, my God. And watch like a two and a half hour movie that nothing happens. Fucking love it. But, I mean, <laughs> 40 answer, minutes for Batman. <laughs> I don't care. So in Iron Man 3, he was barely in it. But anyways, so, um, you know, you, uh, Tony Stark was barely Iron Man in Iron Man 3. Because so, if he's nothing without the suit, then he, then he doesn't need it. Same with The Dark Knight Rises. So um, anyways, this isn't The Dark Knight Rises podcast. <laughs> Thank <laughs> God. I, I want to answer one of the, the six questions you asked at, at, at this end. You know, are we led to believe that the right people are in the audience and Andrew is going to be are going to land a gig playing drums at Carnegie Hall? So I, I think back to kind of what I was saying, I think this ending ending abruptly is great because I think it's about believing what you as a viewer want to believe. If you think that that was a flawless uh, performance and that just means the sky's the limit for Andrew and someone's going to come up to him and be like, you know, see you first thing on Monday at Carnegie hall or something. Uh, then that's fine. If you think that that was his fall, fall from grace and people are like, nah, kid, you're not cut out for this. Then that's fine. So I think that it's kind of a cautionary tactic that Damien Chazelle, he may have used to kind of extinguish any positivity or any, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Any any positive reinforcement behind this idea that the strive for perfection is is the route that Andrew took? Because I think that can be really harmful. And so I think Chazelle is kind of like, look, I'm not going to glorify him, J.K. Simmons treating him like this. Um, even though they had this kind of symbiotic relationship, it was almost Stockholm Syndrome-esque. So I'm not going to justify and say, hey, the, the ends do justify the means. But... Um, I think it's it, it's great because you can believe what you want to believe, and the ambiguity of the ending just really opens it up for me. Um, I I think that I think Andrew he could only perform that good. Like I was saying, we, you know, when he finally let go of everything, he had no fear. Um, so in, in that certain sense, I do agree with what Fletcher did. Uh, a movie you and I really both like because uh, it's based on a true story too. Totally is cool. Yeah, I fucking love that movie so much. <laughs> I watch it recently too. Uh, Miracle with with Herb Brooks, right? So Herb does a similar thing, but not obviously not like that. He makes the the guys hate him, so they have time hating each other. 
and he, you know, again, all the uh, stuff they do after practice and after games and whatever, he just instills this kind of um, tough discipline on them. It's like a tough love. And in the end, guess what? They, they beat the Russians, the best team in the US. And I think that's such an inspirational moment. But you do know that if like Herb Brooks wasn't as hard on these on these boys as as he was, then they probably wouldn't have gotten to where they were and won the gold medal. I don't know if you believe that or not, but. Yeah, I believe that. Hmm. It's I believe like that America. Yeah, they needed him to, to push them far enough. Absolutely. But, you know, I, I and I and I do think like I want to ask you, do you think that um, Fletcher cared about Sean Casey's death? You know, the, the kid who when he got the phone call and he said he died in a car accident and he was crying and everything. Do you think he actually cared about Sean Casey, even though he hung himself? I do. Mm hmm. I it's, think that he needed to change the story to a car accident so that uh, it wouldn't discourage his students. Yeah, <laughs> that's a uh, pretty hardcore man. So, but so otherwise, think, you'd be questioning what's it all about. Whereas when, because if he's taking his own life, then it's on him. But if he if his life was taken from him, then that's just on the universe. You yeah, know what I mean exactly. So, but um, I mean, yeah, I think I think there's some amazing stuff that he says in it. You know, there there are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. Um, I hate to say it, but I kind of agree with him. I, I do like words of uh, words of affirmation. But sometimes if you haven't done a good job, it's it's OK to hear you need to be better than this. So I don't know. I don't know if that's <laughs> if that's a turnoff or what, but I don't get it. You don't get what? I mean, you say like good job is bad. Well, it's not bad. I think that when people accept mediocrity or they accept um, in certain settings, when they accept mediocrity and just say, oh, you know, what? You, that's OK. You did a good job. If I messed up at something and it's not to someone's liking, I, I want them to let me know. They don't need to be a dick about it, but I want them to be like, this isn't what I had in mind. I, I need you, you tried to, fucking less. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I need you to be better because I know you can be better. If, if that that's the kind of reinforcement I have, they're like, I know you can do better than this. I, I, I need you to redo it and, and come back to me and finish it this way. Because sure, I'll be kind of like, God damn it, I got to do it again. But then I'm like, OK, nope, I understand that this is a training opportunity for me. So does good job mean the same as a great job or awesome job? Um, I think in, in certain job settings. Job well done. Yeah, I think in certain settings it can. Uh, and, and, and the inflection in your tone. Like if if I was like, whoa, Justin, great job, man. This is awesome. I think that's a little different than be like, hey, hey good job. That's kind Atta of. boy. Yeah, out of boy. Hey, slugger. But yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I. I, that's all I have to say, really. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sure. What letter grade do you give Whiplash? Oh, man. This is an A-plus for me. I, I love this movie so much. I think it's just a brilliant. Plus, that's a perfect. You just said that there's you can never be I perfect. give it a 99% because yeah. A-plus is 98-plus. Uh, and sure. anywhere between 98 to 100%. A, I'll give it a 9 out of 10, so there's room for improvement. Exactly. 9.5 out of 10. <laughs> no. So it's a nine. That's not a grade I like to give out, you know. Yeah, I know. You gotta, you gotta always do under, right? Most but of Starship I... Troopers. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yes, it is an A plus for me. I I really really enjoy this film a lot. What about you? Yeah, I give it an A. Nice. Did you enjoy Solid watching a. it? Uh, I think so because I didn't get up. 
I sat Ooh. on my sofa the entire time and I just watched. I didn't pause. I didn't play on my phone. I was just watching because we didn't really talk about this, but the the camera actually moves pretty good in this movie. Oh, yeah. Dude, like, the editing is We did sharp. a good job with the camera. <laughs> But I mean, it's really just a student play. You know, walking through halls was even kind of cool and engaging in a lot of ways. And I can't quite explain that. But I just I really like the way that I was following Andrew the entire movie. Mm -hmm. I I really enjoyed everything about it. And so uh, while it could have just been a normal art house film where the camera's not doing anything and it's stationary, it was very dynamic. and, And I can appreciate that. I think for a jazz movie, someone that fucking hates jazz music to have to sit here and watch this movie, he did everything he could to keep me captivated, as you said. And I think it works. And I mean, even like when he when he first goes to Fletcher's studio band and you see all everybody warming up, you know, they're, they're talking, they come in as normal students and then they all get set up like people are licking their reeds they're they're putting their instruments together the one guy's spitting out the uh, spit valve so gross <laughs> yeah and and you're just kind of like it's all these little um intricacies of of playing in a band i mean i used to play the trumpet so i i get it uh but it's it's just fascinating to me that you're in this world that maybe you don't know a ton about and the editing right. is so sharp and so poignant in this film I and think i did she, like the the callback at the beginning there's the the slow drum build up Yes. And then that's happening in the solo at the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. That was great. Totally. Totally. Uh, one thing before we we, we have a send off. Uh, what did you think uh, or who do you think took the folder? Remember when Andrew throws the the sheet music down when he get, he's getting a soda and then all of a sudden Tanner comes in. He's like, where's the fucking music? And all that stuff happens. Who do you think took that folder? I don't know. I mean, it could have been Fletcher. It could have even been the student that that lost the folder. or uh, what's his name? Tanner. The kid Tanner, yeah, maybe he didn't yeah. want to do it anymore. <laughs> He's like, "Fuck this." <laughs> I don't know. So, I, I, yeah. I would imagine that it was uh, Fletcher. So there are a, a few different theories, but I think it was Fletcher, and here's why. Um, I think that the uh, there's a couple clues to it. When when Tanner explains to because Tanner's genuinely upset, yelling at Andrew, and he's like, "What the fuck? You fucking fuck!" Blah blah blah. Uh, when he tells Fletcher, Fletcher's like. What are you talking about? You lost the music. He he's actually pretty calm in the sense of how he's normally, you know, against what he normally is. And it's almost like he set Tanner up for this because when he says, "Okay, that's fine. You you memorized it." He's like, "No, no, no. I I just look at the sheet music. I can't memorize it. You, it's it's a medical condition or whatever he says." Yeah. <laughs> and Andrew Andrew's like, "I know it. I can play it. You know, I I memorized it." This is because Fletcher knows. Fletcher knows Andrew would have memorized this because he would have busted his ass because Fletcher sees something in Andrew. So I think Fletcher sabotaged it because he knows that Tanner is weak. I mean, look at what he did with Mr. Mars bar guy where he said, you know, um, that guy needed to leave because he didn't know if he was in tune or not. And that's a weakness. So I think it's, it, it, it's very, very interesting, but I mean, Damien Chazelle has gone on record. And he says, I'm not going to explain who took the folder. So it's kind of those, you know, mystery things. It's like it, what's in the brief, briefcase in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> so anyways, but yeah, I, I just felt like I needed to add that. But um, sure. yeah, man. Fair. So. All right. Well, we did get uh, on the Twitter there. Mr. Andy Parker said, get your camera ready. I nominate Nightcrawler starring Jake Gyllenhaal for an episode of Don't Be Crazy. Ooh. So I guess we have yeah. to do that. We've been called out. Yeah, dude. Um, Have you have you seen that? Movie? Never seen it. 
No. Oh. It's, it's, it was on Netflix for the longest goddamn time. I don't know if it still is, but... It is. I, I checked earlier. Um, okay. I really enjoy it. So it takes place in LA, and I'm I'm curious. I have a lot to ask you about sure. that, because uh, we, we've, we've done some movies that LA has been a character um, in the film, and I truly believe that, that LA can act as a an actual character in a film. Uh, so it's fascinating. Jake Gyllenhaal gives a great performance. Um, Rene Russo's in it. Uh, Riz Ahmed is in it. It's actually, he was in the sound of metal also. Um, so I think that this, this should be a interesting choice. It's dark. It's weird, but, uh, lots of, lots of good pieces. So, mm-hmm. um, and I think Bill Paxton is in it. Yeah, he is. He's like, I got you a lemonade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go see two guns. <laughs> there you go. So, um, cool. Is that it? Is that the show? No joke. He said that to me with finger guns. Go I know. Guns. I know. You told me. It's so funny. Great. I feel like he was the coolest guy. But he probably was so nice. Chet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's not a joke. Hey. It's a complete identity disorder. <laughs> Because it's, like <laughs> yeah, it's you. Yeah, because it's you. Yeah, it's great. Chet uh, Donnelly, my God. He's a fine young man. With the flat top. He he cut his hair like that. I saw like on a like on a movie trivia that mm-hmm. he did that on his own <laughs> with the flat top. It doesn't <laughs> surprise like, me. He thought, he thought it would be like a total asshole thing to do. And John Hughes went along with it. He's like, dude, this guy's got to look like this fucking asshole right now. <laughs> Oh, it doesn't surprise me. R.I.P. Missy Bill Baxton. He's great. So, um, cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Uh, please remember to follow us on Twitter at dbcrazypod, at edgyarmo, and at zachdale60, where you can share your thoughts with us, and we will discuss them on our show. Thank you, Mr. Andy Parker. He used to work with that guy. He's like a protege. Um, taught him everything in retail ever. But uh, basically, we are going to do Nightcrawler for the next or one of the next episodes. Um, So yeah, please send us your suggestions. You can chit chat with us, all that stuff. Please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin. This did a really fun two-hour episode on Disneyland. It was forever. (laughs) It was. I think Randy's stories were were amazing though. The icing on the cake, like I said. I I think it was so funny. And when when we talked down like this. Yeah. <laughs> like I called him out, right? Oh my like, god! I love how the tone changes. Yeah. I was driving. I was laughing so hard because it was just like this very hush hush operation, and then David's throwing out the FlashMountain.com thing, and I'm just like, oh man! Of course, I googled Flash Mountain after that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, please check out the Pixelated podcast with Stephen K. James and also Justin. They talk about the video games there and why the brand new game Skyrim keeps crashing on me. So it's pretty cool. Good stuff. Um, All that we ask is please don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. You are the best.